0: Chapter 16 Ninanaba Prisoners of War. Hashke remembered the name Oho del Oso, the name of the place where a peace Nadani leader, stepped out of his role and entered the role of a war Nadani leader to spare his people. Hashkeh naba asked the young Nabeho warriors to sit around a fire while he told them of the great Narbona, the Nad'ani, of peace. Kwe shashpetro holye Kwa Kwe'e shi'n Nabeho biltta'a hejikani dal gai'gi yil desta? testa? E'dan shi'n di kennaz ato This place is called Bear Springs. It is likely it was this place where the Navajo leaders made an agreement with the ones they fight with who have white skin. At that time, these buildings had not been built. Hashke Yilnapa continued by telling the warriors he remembered he had been told of a meeting that was held between the Nabeho leaders and the soldiers. The meeting had been called by the soldiers with white skin. The meeting had occurred nearly 18 years ago in the cold of winter. This was a confusing time for the Nabejo because many of the Nabejo peace leaders who joined the meeting were coerced by the soldiers' demands into entering into an agreement with the soldiers by putting the print of their thumb on a piece of paper. It was the appointed time when the war leaders were the Natani leaders. To seal the agreement, the Nabehu leaders put the print of their thumb on a piece of paper. Many peace leaders and war leaders put forth their thumbprint alongside the great Nabehu peace leader Narbona from it, Kenyan Dishay, peace leaders who arrived only as witnesses of the al uh, the negotiations between the war leaders and the soldiers were left confused. The white soldiers did not want to talk with the war leaders. The soldiers claimed they did not know any of the Nad'ani leaders of war. They wanted to talk and negotiate with Narbona, the great Na'at'ani leader of peace. The soldiers knew Narbona had great influence among his Navajo people. The soldiers and the interpreters for the soldiers who spoke, some Navajo and Spanish, were also confused as to why Narbona did not want to speak for his people. They wanted to know why he kept looking to the younger Nag'ani for advice. As a peace leader, Narbona knew he could not speak for his people in the winter season. He could only make decisions in the spring and summer seasons. The leader of the soldiers, named Doniphan, whom the Nabeho leaders called Donipin, insisted on Narbona being the only leader they spoke to. When Narbona refused to speak to the soldiers, the soldiers began to threaten the Nabejo. They even encouraged other Indian nations to raid against the Nabejo. Steal their women and children. They value their women and children. They will go to great lengths to get their women and children back the Indians were told by the soldiers. Sell their women and children on the slave markets. They need to be punished because their leader will not meet with us, the soldiers told the Indian nations who lived near the Navajo. We cannot have the Navajo men raiding the Mexican settlements. We are in a bloody war against Mexico. We can't have these savages raiding into Mexico. These Navajo warriors are going to cause more problems for our great country by raiding Mexican settlements to take their women and children as well as their livestock. If you will raid and steal their Navajo women and children, you will not be punished. If you kill a Navajo warrior, you will be paid $10 for their scalp the bacinti Indian warriors were told. The Utes, Apaches, Mexicans, and New Mexicans declared war on the Navajo women and children because the white soldiers told them they could. They, too, wanted to become rich in the trading of Navajo slaves. Nabejo women and young girls were especially sought after because they knew how to weave beautiful rugs. A slave owner of a Navajo woman or girl could sell these rugs on the market for a lot of pesos. When the great Nabeho Natani leader Narbona heard this news, he knew war had been declared against the Nabeho women and children. The great Narbona held many meetings among the Nabejo-Nat'ani Navajo leaders before he agreed to meet with the leader of the soldiers. He told the war leaders of the winter that the soldiers were not respected warriors. The white soldiers do not fight the Navajo, napahi warriors because they are afraid. Instead, They declare war against the women and the helpless children. Other Indian warriors have become just like the soldiers with white skin. There used to be a time when the Nabeho played war games against other Indian nations, but all those brave warriors are gone and have been replaced with warriors who fight women and children Narbona was heard to say many times. The great peace leader, Narbona, had no choice but to meet with the soldiers in the season of the war leaders. The war leaders gave their great peace leader their consent to meet with the soldiers to protect their women and children. shashpetro this place is called Bear Springs this is the place where our great peace leader met with the soldiers Hashke ke told the warriors na pa hi ki do shin shi ta need na pe kho pa na Dīk āt pīlta āhījikāni, Nihīk ājit nādā pāhīgi, Se bīt zāt tā nākha yēn Nihīk ājit nādās pā, Yēn tā āeik Dīk āt nīhīk ājit nādā pā, Nihīzāni tān līnigi, Dō nākha tā alchina tān līnigi, āeit āhīt nīk ājit nādī pā, Shitsit, They were told to put their arms down. They, the soldiers, had become very worried about the strength of Navajo warriors. These soldiers are now no different from those of 18 years ago. They have once again declared war against our women and our children. It is said that my daughter, my little one, dead Yajinazba, was kidnapped, and the men whom we fight with, the white soldiers, are holding her captive. The Nabe warriors who had been sitting around their kind leader gasped at this information. This was the first time they heard him talking about his daughter who had been kidnapped many, many months ago. Hashke <inaudible> Yilnapa was trying to gain control over his emotions. He continued, She yet shitsit, Yisna bit Yil Ahil do Yilnasnetla, Shitsit, she away. My son told us he saw and spoke to my daughter at the place of the soldiers, the fort, and he spoke to her, My daughter, my baby, is being held at the fort of the soldiers. This is what my son told us. (laughs) She yeh ee no dae binaa baahi shi yill dae Do no da binaa baahi ee bila dae ahejiggaani binaa baahi yi jinn dae hui sni shi bila dae dahdi binaa baahi dae haa inigo my son fought with some Ute warriors who sold him to the soldiers. From that point, the soldiers took him to their fort and kept him for several days. He stole away from the soldiers so he could come back home and tell us he had seen and visited with his older sister. Aunt Aunt and Lady Ligine de Nahan Ziza Abicadon Hatabetotra Goshi and Naila. But the egg it is eat on Lesbinia. Nihija, Bissinta he deals help in the year, are they a kid kai, though a nick lita. She didn't ye snaha dubbed the yagi a stall, though beget the nest chelta, be gibinina, ne hit up the kit dah deena, though any hick ehodes lingda, ye snaha batilia ya da, a stun a nabash inigi docho eagle to hit knee. He came back to Black Mesa to tell us. After that, I sent my son back to the place where his older sister is being held so he could protect his older sister. We wanted to see our little ones. That is why we started coming this way. No one was victorious over us. I also will not forsake my people who were taken captive. That is why we followed them. No one was victorious over us. The woman I make my life with suffered greatly when our children were kidnapped. The Nabehwa warriors sat around the fire patiently listening to the kind leader as he spoke. In unison they said, We will also follow your lead. Whatever plans you have for us, we will follow them. Hashkeh Yilnapa was very moved by the young warrior's commitment to him and his family. Sani do We will take care of the women and children, and we will also take care of one another. They promised themselves and their leader. Later on that night, Ashkeh went back to the place where Nananapa was resting. She was sitting near the fire, carding little pieces of wool. He picked up her sparse bedding and placed it far from his people, with whom they were traveling. He went back to the fire and picked up some burning branches and carried them with him to build a fire near the place where he put his wife's bedding. He went back and put more wood on the fire to provide light for his people and a source of warmth for his people, then quietly asked Ninanaba to follow him. In the distance, he saw the many fires of the soldiers that surrounded them so their Nabeho prisoners would not run away. Hashkeh waited for Ninanaba to fix her bedding. Then he lay down near her. When their fire went out, only the light from the red hot coals shed a dim light upon Ninanabat's beautiful face. Hashkehilnapa moved closer to Ninanabat. Covered with a large, finely woven rug, Hashkehilnapa held Ninanabat gently. He was keenly aware that she expected to see their daughter, Dead Yaja Nazba. He knew her heart ached when they learned their daughter was in another area where the soldiers kept more Nabehu prisoners. Ashkeh quietly whispered into Nanabat's ears, I love you, my little one. I know you love me, Ninanabak quietly answered before her shoulders began to shake as the sobs of disappointment shook her body. In hoping to see her daughters again, Ninanabak had made a rug dress for each of her daughters when she was still living on Black Mesa. She was desperately hoping to see her beautiful Dead Nazba. Shit not e not he a My mind was only concentrating on seeing my daughter again. Knowing that I was going to see my daughter again was what gave me hope. I am in a state of extreme disappointment. My heart hurts, Ninanabat said in between sobs. Hashkeynabha told his wife, Nikyaj Dedyaj Nazba with Nahi Dil we will see our little one Dedyaj again. Adon Sha don't cry, my little one. Ninanaba allowed her husband to comfort her. As the faint light of dawn illuminated the surroundings where they slept, Ninanaba finally fell asleep. Her hair on the one side of her face was wet with her tears of disappointment. Her tears that had mixed with her hair made a bitter pillow upon which she rested her head. An old soldier with white hair interrupted their sleep by telling the Navajo people that they would camp at the fort until more soldiers joined them to take them to the intended destination. Later in the day, each group of Navajo people were counted and told to remain in small groups. The Nabejo men were then ordered to stand in a line to be given rations. Many Nabejo men were ashamed to once again accept the ration of meat and round fat loaves of Pueblo bread. The Nabejo men were supposed to hunt for their meat, which they knew was fresh. They were not supposed to wait for someone else to provide them with meat to take back to their families. The meat the soldiers gave them smelled old and was warm. The Nabehu people were told through interpreters that they could not walk farther than the nearest hill to obtain firewood. Fortunately, the trees in the distance were pinyon trees laden with fresh pinyon nuts. The Nabehu Men teased one another as they picked pinon nuts. When the men went to obtain wood for their fires, they picked pinons to take home to their children. Picking pinon nuts was done by the women. The young Nabehuo men made their voices high and acted like women. The young men were chided by their leaders and were told, not to laugh at the work of women, that without the hard-working Nabeho women, the men would not be there. After being scolded, the young men picked pinon nuts in silence. The Nabeho leaders then began teasing the young men who were picking pinons. The leaders just wanted the young men to quiet down at the time they teased them. The men all laughed, the next day, the Navajo men found themselves very sore from picking pinyons. They realized the work of women was very difficult. Soon, many groups of Navajo people were being held at Ojo del Oso. The people were from many areas of Navajo bikeya Navajo land. The men were glad to gather together with other groups of navajo from various areas of denetra the land of the navajo and discuss recent fights they had had with the soldiers they told of the heroic acts of various Nabahi warriors the vicious nature of the soldiers and recalled how many people they had lost which were mostly the elderly and the children A few days later, the Nabehu leaders were called to a meeting to face the Pistahyajigani soldiers. The fun times of picking piñons was forgotten. Instead, the men had worried looks on their faces. The attention and conversations of the Nabehu men turned to the reasons the soldiers gave for forcing the Nabehu people to walk toward the eastern direction. The interpreters for the soldiers used to convey their messages for the Nabejo people were a soldier who spoke Spanish and a Mexican man who spoke Navajo. The messages went from English to Spanish to Navajo. When the Navajo leaders answered, the message was relayed first in Navajo then Spanish, and finally the message reached the ears of the soldiers in English. The interpreters told the Nabehua leaders that the soldiers had accused them of not having a central government and that the placement on a foreign piece of land would acquaint them with the kind of government the soldiers wanted them to have. The Nabehua leaders were also told They had broken many treaties, and for that reason they were going to be punished by being forced to leave their land between the four mountains. The leaders were further told they had killed many settlers and Mexicans and therefore were being forced to pay for it by being exiled from their beautiful land. The interpreters finally told the leaders, The Nabejo had been raiding Indian and non-Indian settlements and the Mexican settlements, so they were being sent to a foreign land to learn the art of peace. The Nabejo warriors scoffed at the reasons they had been given. There was no mention of the Nabejo women and children who were kidnapped and never seen again. The Nabeho men were heard having a heated discussion. Different ones were voicing their heated opinions by saying, Husha, what about them? Hoya hizanin hitz'an isna They are the ones who have kidnapped our children and our women and then they made them prisoners of war. A young Nabeho man raised his voice in frustration and said, Hanapa he yet, ani a yo at end eh, Nikaya, Picago, Hodes, Yel, Dollet, Yinia, Nabeho not ani a ye with a rat dot Hujo pa Be a rataj nest ane. It was their soldiers who killed our great leader, Narbona. Our great leader gathered the Navajo warriors together so they could meet with them and negotiate for peace. In vain he tried to do the right thing. They did not even respect their own treaty. When they killed our great leader, how can they speak such evil lies? The Napahi warriors who were gathered around Hashkehishnāpā and other leaders sat up straighter and squared their shoulders with the knowledge that they had done nothing wrong. All they could be accused of is loving their children, wives, sisters, and daughters enough to raid the settlements of their Ana'e, enemies when they went looking for their loved ones who were kidnapped. Another young warrior proudly stood up and said, nabe hona pahi alyago, nabe ho'pna pahi what Navajo warrior would allow his children or his wife to be kidnapped and just watch as they were taken away? We are Navajo warriors. We test our bodies so that we can go to war to protect our children and our women. The young Nabahi warriors looked toward Hashkehish Napa, their Natani who sat facing them, and the one who made them very proud to be a Nabeho Napahi. Their respected leader told them, Napahi Ilini Danose, you are valued warriors. Napahi Ina Bislini Danose, you are warriors who respect life. You don't make your enemies angry without a reason. As the men were talking, the women listened. When word was spoken of the broken treaties, the women reacted with urgency, asking, Kha'tan Dot a'an o't ennig yll allradar jyst a'la. Ani de da'an ni allraddi d'a'r baan dohkai. D'a'll gyd a'r bêna annesgo ba'a gonddan i dsîn. Na'r cael ba'at eia na'ch a'r thwy yll allran datdi d'a'hant gani. D'a'b doh ninnigi e d'a anni d'a go'n When did you make negotiations with them? At that time, they did not make an agreement with all of you. Agreements are not something that you began to do recently. It is something that has been used For a long time, the Spaniards were the only ones they, the Navajo leaders, negotiated with. The soldiers have not been negotiating for very long that we are aware of. What is it that our leaders did not abide by? Nothing. They, the soldiers, lie and they cheat. The Nabehua men were left with some strong words that reminded them of their current enemy. The Nabehua women were adept at analyzing situations. The men had to listen to their women, especially the older ones, because it was the older ones who had been present as silent witnesses at the early treaty negotiations. Never in the wildest dreams of the Nabehuokna Bahi did any of them think that the greed for gold and silver was at the forefront of the decision to remove the noble Nabehu people to a place far from their land between the four mountains. Once again, the soldiers lied to them. General Carleton along with a man who had been a territorial governor of New Mexico, had secretly met at Santa Fe and created a grand scheme for removing the savage Navajos from their lands. The two men believed the land the Nabejo occupied was rich in gold, silver, and copper. The Union army was becoming poor, fighting a war in the south, known as the Civil War. General Carlton felt their contribution of precious metals would be valuable in helping their Union Army fund the war. I want to become a hero of the Civil War. I will do this by mining the gold and silver that is on the Navajo land, Carleton wrote to his friend. Further, if the mining was to begin... Mining equipment would have to be transported into the land the Navajos occupied and the railroad was the answer, but the Navajos were in the way of the mining and the building of the railroad. Let's declare the Navajos as being a severe threat to the peace we promised to the Mexican government. Another U.S.-Mexican war would bankrupt the U.S. government. Another war is too costly. Our government is already poor from fighting the Civil War and the U.S.-Mexican War. Further, we cannot overlook the threat the savage Navajos are to the delicate peace treaty our government made with the Mexican government in 1849, which was the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. The two men were excited over the letter they had crafted and the lies they had told about the Navajo people. They excitedly rubbed their hands together. They could see themselves being honored for helping their government regain their economy. The two men greedily slapped each other on the back, calling the other a hero of the Civil War. Pleased to meet you, Civil War hero, they declared to one another. The cost of removing the savage Navajos and keeping them from their lands is nothing compared to the wealth the government would have once the precious metals were extracted and the entire country was linked by a railroad from coast to coast. Indians were expendable, therefore, move them to a place where they would not have to be seen, remembered, or heard from, the two men declared. Once the United States government officials received the letter General Carleton had written regarding the raiding Navajos, removing the Navajo people from their lands was not too great a cost to the government. Congress agreed and set aside funds for the removal of the Navajo Indians from their original lands to public lands found by General Carlton. A 40-square-mile reservation near the Pecos River in eastern New Mexico Territory was set aside for the savage, raiding Navajos, who were a threat to the peace outlined in the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. The U.S. Congress considered General Carlton an authority on Indian affairs, so his word regarding the Navajo wars and raiding was to be heeded. Navajo savagery was to be put to a stop at all cost. The government did not want another war with Mexico caused by the raiding of the Navajo Indians. President Abraham Lincoln signed the executive order for the establishment of a reservation for the Navajo people at Bosque Redondo on the Pecos River, where a fort would be built called Fort Sumner. General Carleton and the territorial governor were very satisfied with the power they had over the United States Congress and the President of the United States. Little did they know that through their greed the history of the Navajo people would be changed forever. Now, by what elders, men, women, children, babies, and even unborn children would be kidnapped held as prisoners of war, or killed and left for nature to care for. When Hashkeh Yilnaba returned to his camp at the end of a long day of meetings with the soldiers, he told his beautiful wife about the information he gathered that day. His Nananaba had such insight, even though she did not have as much information as he had. Nevertheless, he valued her opinion. Many times her words were the ones he shared at the daily meetings the Nabeho men continued to gather for, and by the reaction of the other men he knew her words made an impact. Ba reminded Hashkeh Yilnaba of the sacred leadership gatherings that was their form of government. As she sat poking at the ground one day, she thoughtfully gathered her thoughts about the treaties and the negotiation process. Looking at her husband's broad back after she had combed his hair and placed it in a Navajo knot, she silently reminded herself of the earlier conversations they had. Thoughtfully she spoke. She reminded her husband (laughs) Na be cho ani da no sinigi, na hat ani ja e hinna gani do ya ako dansnda chála <laughs> alllla <laughs> na le o nee yn ná e nechy <laughs> a nána byll all ran dot ago D nad ei ba do lelta dochch ni o ná sos be Becat das us go better dole chit. I con the ani tango, do shingo. Nahandaha ahigish as dotn his yelgo. Has do yen be attracted that The soldiers do not know about the leadership gatherings you Navajo leaders hold because the enemy is banned from coming near the meetings. You make agreements and you place your fingerprint on paper after an agreement has been made to say you will not make war. But what about them? Did the peace leaders also put forth their thumbprint on a paper that said they wanted peace? Did the soldiers deliberately produce another treaty to sign after they hid the original treaty the Navajo leaders signed? The soldiers were dishonest when they negotiated with our Navajo leaders. Niki na tani nich ah nta pa higi, niki na ebenda at loko tabi na koshi ate aitan katabatis eet donil. Niki na go de eet sahasta. The leaders who protect us in warfare, the war leaders, would have immediately seen the dishonesty of the enemy. You war leaders are trained to look for enemies that shake hands with you while they hold a war club behind their back, Ninanabat said with conviction. Ninanabot stopped poking at the ground and used the stick to gently poke her husband and said, Ben ye shnee, not ani na pa, bis haz aige, yan da aige e trahunle, bis da bis dot aspeni ye, bis a hin nao jo Ade etra, na ho ande, nan so del I remind you, you are a member of the war leaders. When you leaders meet with the soldiers to negotiate, you take part in the negotiations, but you have not taken part in putting forth your thumbprint on paper the process of signing the treaty. You promote peace that only benefits our enemy instead of the children I gave you. My children are suffering at the hands of our enemy, she said in an accusatory tone. (laughs) ne one is Cemalne skaallar, a leads the life of Aalisa Koran tradition that leads to the Initiative... to be here a na teaching I You, as a war leader, have not put your thumbprint to the treaty to maintain peace because you have sympathy for the children I bore for you. The treaty says you will not fight against your enemies, but the soldiers can wage war against my children, and that is probably what it says in the treaty, Nananabot said as her voice broke it was other members of the enemies who raided when my children were herding sheep, and now we are being blamed for many things she stated Niche enna et ahazzo niche naat ani. Et ade kweehe god eia yill echi krei. Do yill eilradat eist ado. Gat niche dunne et ad eie. Eilradat eist ane. Yita all ido dat dini. Ajaxi niche dunne et abbe. Bin ad ani da holonde. Dina alzoz gat nabe hod ad Epic esthi. Da But our enemies, the soldiers, made mistakes. They gathered and met with only a few Navajo leaders and expected them to be responsible for all of our people and told them all Navajo people had to abide by the treaty, even those who never received word of the treaty talks or of the contents of the treaty. Even those Navajos who have their own leaders are bound by this agreement they told us. Overcome with emotion, she continued, "Nicht ich trage Hotels Geld und lebt dann nieende. Nicht ich wehe es nach deilago dejotrum. Dann nicht ich Ärchen. Dort dann nicht Deje. Dort dann ich hatte. Dort dann nicht ich mag. Dort They said they want peace between us but they kidnapped our baby, and now they are keeping her. They raped our daughters, our sisters, our mothers, and our grandchildren, and called that peace. Ninanaba and Hushkeh knew it would have been nearly impossible for all the Navajo leaders to have taken part in the treaty negotiations because of the demand for swift action demanded by the soldiers. Many Nabejo leaders were never consulted before the signing of a treaty, but unfortunately there were times when Nabejo leaders who signed had only signed so they could gain from it. She further expressed her worries about how one leader from Tsegit, Canyon de area, cannot be responsible for the people who live in the Nazis on Navajo Mountain or the Keisani-Hopi area. It is unfair, and these people with white skin are wrong to do this to us. Too much faith was placed in these meetings for the treaties. Nenanaba lamented the fact that the negotiations did not take place behind the protection of the Hogan that was built especially for the leadership gatherings. Instead, the meetings were held in a place near the enemy's home. Ninanabat lowered her head and covered her eyes, not wanting her tears to fall on the ground where the enemies walked. Looking at her tear-stained hands, she continued, They have my son, too. Ninanabat collapsed on her little roll, of thin goatskins, it seemed all her strength was required of her to speak her mind. How many more of Nananabot's children did the soldiers want before they would declare that she had been punished enough? Many times Nananabot was heard to say the soldiers must not have children, and if they did, they must not love them. If they had children, they would understand why the Nabeho warriors go looking for their children. Hashkeh listened to his wife speaking. He was moved by her emotional conversation. He moved closer to her and put his arms around her. As his thoughts raced at her words, he massaged her abdomen. How could she shield our children and keep them safe while they were still inside her? and then when they were born, she entrusted their safety to me, he thought. Hashkeh remembered the many evenings he sat by the evening fire, watching Ninanabba feeding their little ones, feeding them her nutritious, sweet milk. Even in their growing up, she was the one who could nurture them on the inside, while he protected them on the outside. Have I failed her? Have I failed my children? He thought as he felt a huge lump in his chest that pained as it rose into his throat. When the evening sunset slowly tugged at the night and darkness closed in, Hashkeil turned toward his wife as a means of comfort. He found himself eager to taste her sweet skin, as he buried his face in her soft breasts, he was overcome with the scent of her body and was immediately rendered into helplessness. She was the only one who could satisfy his need that began deep in the central part of him and extended out to the rest of his body. In the soft darkness, Hashkeh lips found the mounds of Ninanabat's breasts causing him shortness of breath. As Nananabha cradled his head against her, he found comfort. He touched her and found her just as much in want of him as he was of her. Quietly, under the dark, vast, fall sky, they made love that began slowly and remained gentle throughout. Hashke held his wife, while waiting for his breath to become more even. He left lingering soft kisses on Linanabat's breasts and neck. She always knows what I need the most, he thought in awe, as he gently kissed her hair, which was moist around her face. He reached up and gently wiped her forehead and the sides of her face with his fingers. Lying near Ninanaba Ashke Napa wondered how other Napeho leaders could have more than one wife when he married Ninanaba, he had vowed never to allow another woman to minimize the love he had for his wife, nor did he ever want to miss a moment of her. If it wasn't for the news of their daughter being found. He possibly would not be here suffering with his Nabeho people, but he knew how much his wife wanted to see their daughter, and he told himself that he was going to make sure the reunion took place. When his wife's breathing became even once again, Hashkehil Naba kissed her ear and softly said in a deep, quiet voice, Elhosh Sleep, my little one, at which she softly moaned and placed a soft hand on her husband's strong chest. (inaudible) Hashkeh Yilnapa lay in the same position for the rest of the night where he held his wife, not wanting to disturb her sleep because she needed the rest.